Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. And here are a very weary bunch of people bringing you tonight's socialist think tank, political unmuted. Um, I can hardly keep my eyes open. I have been out knocking doors, staying up sort of at night doing social media making doing video oh dear me and i know for a fact that the other people on this this call have have been too um bring it on bring on thursday i am not going to ask the other people about um uh, the election either because i suspect they are electioned out that they can well mention it if they want you are so so welcome um hello thank you for joining us and um welcome to your fabulous uh dream team paul hello laura hello samantha hello just about the most important woman in tees valley at the moment samantha and stuart <laughs> hello Hi there. Um, and um, okay, um, let's just um, move straight on. And indeed, uh, what is your moment of the week? Uh, Samantha Townsend, moment of the week for you. Uh... A bit of a sad one, actually. I'm going to go to the, um, and I'm not going to be able to remember her name because I've not done my research, but the, the, the sad story about the PCSO that was found uh, apparently murdered in Devon. Um, I just think it's just really sad. Um, and also, it doesn't seem to have got anywhere near the news coverage that I would expect. And also, the, another thing that's not got the news coverage I would expect is the uh, convicted sex offender standing as an MP in Hartlepool. Um, and I just want to sort of point to that, you know, we, we've done so much good work in highlighting uh, violence against women and uh, racism and, and all kinds of um, isms in our society. But it seems like these things being not talked about and swept under the rug really highlight that we've got a long way to go. Um, do you think that the public is outraged out, Samantha? Mm. Maybe. I mean, as you say, we've all been door knocking, haven't we? And we'll, we'll have all have had people who were like, just stop fighting amongst each other and stop having political debates and they're just sick of 
Um, I guess there's, there's a case that the fact we've got 24-hour streaming news right now means there's always a need to generate news even when there's not much to talk about. And I think maybe that white noise is covering up some things that we should be talking about in our society, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was listening to the news quiz last Friday and they were talking about Boris Johnson's wallpaper and his redecorating and, and the joke, it was a joke, but somebody said, and I heard that there was a crisis and I thought, oh no. And then I realised it was just corruption. And um, I mean, it was a, a joke, but I think it's how a lot of people feel at the moment. Stuart, moment of your week. Uh, yeah, I've got a really good one. Uh, I'll just stick a name to the, the tragedy of uh, the PCSO that lost her life. It was Julia James, was uh, the woman who was uh, apparently murdered. Uh, my moment of the week. Uh, uh, on Saturday, I went litter picking with uh, one of the community groups in Chilton. Uh, and they do this every month. They get out the first Saturday of the month. We go out and litter picking and we broke up down into teams. And I was with a, a father and his daughter, and we ended up at uh, the old school uh, field where they used to play ball games. And they had a wildlife garden back in the 90s before the school was demolished. And to all intents and purposes, that wildlife garden is still there. Uh, it was opened by Tony Blair back in the day. So, but now, you know, there's actual like uh, rats living in it, and, in it and such as well. Uh, so, yeah, I found something that I need to reclaim for the community. So that's my moment of the week. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, something to, to focus upon when you get elected. Um, Laura. Um, yeah, so my moment of the week um, that I've chosen was I actually just heard about today. I think it only came out today, actually, but um, that uh, marriage certificates in England and Wales are now to include the mother's name for the first time ever, um, rather than just the father's name, um, which I just think is like a, a huge step and it's a huge deal. It's interesting, all the articles I've read have said, because this will speed the process up by which um marriages are registered and stuff completely missing the point that previous to this it was just the dads who were important enough to be on there um so yeah i just think it's it's really good it's really lovely one of the stories i read about it so i said um that it meant that both parents could be present forever on their wedding day and i thought that was really nice so just something nice and, a, and another step forward from away from misogyny and uh, and all of that the patriarchal system and I won't go into a big rant about it we'll save that for the next the one <laughs> but yeah it's just really because, nice was the old way because the, it was the father that gave away the bride it, was, was it linked to that at all or was it, it, it honestly I'm I'm not really sure I, I mean I filled one of those in myself it just it asks what your dad's occupation is and and who he is it doesn't say anything about your mom so it's um yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm really pleased that the that they're changing it now and sort of modernising it. It's, it's quite a nice thing, I think. It's the details sometimes that make the difference, isn't it? Uh, thank you. Uh, and moment of the week, Paul, apart from having your haircut, which I noticed that Anne is very excited about um, on, on the uh, chat stream. 
Um, you look very smart than boy bandish, I might say, Paul. <laughs> boy bandish. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I don't like talking about my appearance. But anyway, um, so, yeah, my moment of the week is I've become one of 12 national proposers for a thank you day. Um, so, uh, Brendan Brendan Cox, the husband of, of Joe, his organisation, the Better Together uh, thing that they, they try to you know um, promote solidarity and togetherness um, rather than uh, rather than conflict and try to say like you know we have more in common and stuff. Their their organisation are pushing are trying to push the idea of um, of having a a national day of um, of saying thank you to people, but thank you to genuine people who've really helped us through the pandemic, not some sort of political act where we're all pretending and and like you know where it's not it's not to promote Boris Johnson pretending to say thank you and then voting against pay rises. It's genuine uh, community spirit. Thank you to people. So it's something that's really exciting to be involved in. Um, so I'm going to be doing like little bits and bobs of press on that one. Um, and socialist think tanks getting a little mention as well there too, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 kind of I think I'm representing teachers and the northeast in that at the moment. So uh, hopefully that'll be a really big day. That's July the fourth. Um, it anyone can organise a an event, and it's just basically like you you could just say right, I want to say thank you. We'll all get together and we'll have a beer and we'll say cheese or a cup of tea or you know just something to mark the occasion. My focus has been on the people who had to go to work throughout the pandemic. So um, rather than saying, oh, you know, thank you to like, obviously, I'm really thankful to the NHS who had to go to work. But that includes hospital porters. It includes cleaners. Um, There's cleaners in all sorts of organizations where things just wouldn't happen anyway, uh, like, you know, without them. And I think we saw during the pandemic what the important jobs were and what the important jobs weren't. And uh, like, let's say um, speculation on the stock exchange really isn't very important, whereas um, cleaning your bins is. So let's say thank you to those people. I'd love to see a genuine thank you eventually where those people are paid fairly. Uh, that's that's what I would like to see. Um, but for now, let's just say thank you to those people. So July the 4th for that. So if anyone's got any ideas about what they want to put on in their own communities, this is a free-for-all. This is a genuine community event where anyone can put something on and say thank you. So, yeah, that would be nice. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Can I apologise to people watching because we're watching the uh, stream going through at the same time. So sometimes you'll see something on the stream stream which makes you react in an inappropriate way. And uh, so when Paul was um, giving us that very important message about thank you day, which we all agree with, it came up that he's got a look of the Gerard Butler about him. Uh, And uh, just imagine him saving the White House, um, White House down, Paul Daly to the rescue. And and I smiled and and, and it was an inappropriate response to the important message he was giving us. Can I I come back on one thing as well? It says uh, only only two of you have I'm voting Labour posters. Yeah, we don't need to promote all the time. We always we always do things. I think I think everyone on this call is a Labour member, but you know. We're not on socialist think tank itself. We're not promoting a single political party. We're promoting the idea of people being uh, showing each other solidarity and trying to work for something better. 
not necessarily within that, the political system. So, yeah. I cannot tell a lie. Um, who, who was it that noticed? Uh, was it um, that? Was it Chris? Hood? No, it was. Um, John Angus yeah, Robertson. That's right. Yes, um, uh, John. I'm, I just have to admit the only reason that's that it was in the window, and and I just um, had to do a video when I was promoting Labour, and so I went and I took it out of the the window and I stuck it up there on Sunday, and I've just not taken it down and put it back in the window. Um, so there's that, 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 so I cannot I cannot take credit for it. It's sheer um, inactivity. Can I point you to the um, look at uh, behind Samantha? All that absolutely fabulous rebel art stuff, um, uh, advertising uh, uh, Jesse Joe Jacobs. And might I say as well, I put on um, Facebook that Jesse um, and uh, Joy Allen, my golly, they've cloned, shown everybody else a clean set of heels, haven't they, on this um, campaigning lark. I mean, they've been spectacular, um, both of them, um, and they deserve... Um, every everything. So yes, I'm glad to see Jesse on 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 the and 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 uh, sort of uh, not on mine. Um, you've got Shay and AOC and important people like that, Paul. So you you you're. Uh, uh, Shay, yeah, Shay, but um, there's someone in there. There's no Labour Party people there since Jeremy Corbyn was kicked out, but um, yeah, still up there, still yeah. um, and also Black Lives Matter, no Passaran. Uh, Dur County Durham Anti-Racist Coalition's up there. Um, really? There's, a, there's and uh, oh, um, the Joe Solo's charity as well that he's involved with as well. So there's quite a few things up there. If you ever want to see anything on that wall, let me know. And uh, Laura, I'm going for Scottish independence. I see. Um, so let's uh, <laughs> with, with that. Let's move on. Now it's time for the big story. The big story. And, and I fear that this is going to be a regular big story. It's Northern Ireland. And uh, the question is Arlene Foster's overthrow a wake-up call for Britain. Samantha, lead us off on that. Um, we've talked before about the lack of accountability for politicians. You, you can create whatever mess you want and then walk away at the end of the day. David Cameron did it with Brexit. Uh, Boris Johnson's going to do it with COVID. And now Arlene Foster's done it with the mess that she's landed Northern Ireland in. Um, they, they, they get to swan off and have their lovely lives as, as lobbyists, apparently, or... Uh, advisors to very rich people well the rest of the population have to deal with their actions um and and what the mess they've left the country in i think that's the big question here that's the big issue that's in front of us um and then obviously dealing with that big issue which is you know the, the very real threat to peace in northern ireland um which has come about because the politicians <clears throat> were playing politics and didn't care about the collateral damage. And now we've got, you know, teen teenagers bombing each other. You know, <laughs> it's just, if you'd asked any of us 10 years ago, 
if we would be here in 2021, I don't think any of us would have thought that we would be. And I think I often think about the way people are towards each other now and how, you know, just just a few years ago, we were paying kids to go to college. Um, and and now now we've we've got the the really regressive things that we've got where people are being uh, punished for basically cross-examined if, if they've got a child as a product of rape. You know, is this the country we want to live in? No, it's not. Uh, are we going to do something about it? Anybody else got any opinions? <laughs> um, well, yes, I'm going to. Uh, Paul, um, one of the questions uh, in, in the article that this referred to was, um, whether power sharing could survive um, the resignation of Arlene Foster and um, an ever um, more extremizing um, DUP. I mean, they're moving to more extreme positions all the time. I mean, can, can power sharing survive these changes? I'm not sure they are moving to more extreme positions. They've always been extreme, haven't they? I think like the the DUP were normalised. Um, the the title of this this particular show is 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 this a wake up call for Britain? I'm not sure it is a wake up call because we should have woken up a very very long time ago. Um, nothing about the DUP surprises me, and I'm saying this from like you know it's it's a challenge to speak about um, issues in Northern Ireland. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come from a very non-sectarian way because I really admire the, the work that Trademark Belfast are doing and all sorts of other groups. And we actually have a special on this on Friday coming up uh, that we've arranged, which is going to be absolutely brilliant. And it's probably going to work as a spotlight on Northern Ireland, but as a, a kind of, a, I, do, I think our news over here is terrible. So I was, I nearly said an idiot's guide, but I don't mean that. I mean, like, because it needs to be um, from the from the beginning. We need to set up what is actually happening because the the news in the mainland doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. There was the cash for ash uh, thing a few years ago, where like um, where people were setting up big warehouses to burn wood so that they could get money from the government because it was and they, sh they shut down their own businesses in order to try and do this and this was the DUP that set this up this was this huge mess and Stormont the parliament there wasn't sitting uh, for for years because of this um, so Arlene Foster has not been a good leader of the DUP but is there a good leader of the DUP like you know the, we've had people talking about like how they should kill the Pope uh, as leaders of the DUP and, and all sorts of like sectarian things. Now, the sectarian things on the other side as well, people have been voting along sectarian lines for far too long in Northern Ireland. And I hope that the younger generation will, like, you know, are going to move away from this sectarian kind of voting and vote along um, principles, policies. Um, the, the, there are some glimmers of, of light there about the way younger people are moving away from that sectarianism. But then we saw the recent riots and they were absolutely instigated by politicians. Like let's, let's have, let's make no bones about that. They were, they were riled up and, and they wanted there to be an issue at that point. So whether or not it's a wake up call, I don't think it's a wake up call. It's just an appalling situation that's been going on for a very long time that we've been ignoring, like so many, many things in our political system. 
and it doesn't seem to make a difference. Like when the Theresa May needed those votes, people were just like, "All right, DUP, they're legit. They're not legitimate. They're desire. They 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 evolutionists. You know, they they don't believe dinosaurs existed. So not they they're not not evolutionists. They don't believe in evolution. You know, these people are not wise people. Um, you know, when they said there might be problems after Brexit with trade, um. They says, well, you know, if people can't stock up on food, they'll just have to go and buy fish and chips. Like, it was ludicrous. They are, they're, not, they're not clever people. Then <laughs> they're in charge of a country. But really what's brought her down is because she abstained on um, on, on a gay marriage, sorry, on a, on a anti-gay conversion <clears throat> therapy thing, and they wanted gay conversion therapy to be there. These are not at all progressive politicians like you know they make people from the 1950s look progressive um but that's not to say that they're the only problem at all like the DUP aren't the only problem in Northern Ireland at all we need to move away from sectarianism so to come back to my question do you see um a grim future for power sharing I mean, can it survive? Are we about to see the collapse? Well, of it, it depends. Is, is, it, it, is, is, it really, is it really power sharing? Is it really power sharing in the first place? Was it? It collapsed a few years ago. It hasn't really got up and running again. Like, it has collapsed. I don't know whether that... I don't think whether or not there's a future for power sharing is a leg legitimate question at the moment because it simply isn't happening in the way it's supposed to do. And the DUP actually have called for um, Westminster rule over Northern Ireland a few times. So, you know, like that shows you that there's not really a will to do that. Obviously, at some point in the future, there'll probably be a border poll um, to see whether they want to unite Ireland. And that will probably happen. But will that solve the problems? I don't think that'll solve the problems either. There is something deep rooted in, in, uh, in the communities there that we need to... Um, move away from and that's sectarianism Matt, um following on then from the question about whether um uh sort of i suppose the question is how important to peace is um uh, power sharing because it was part of the good friday agreement westminster tried to rule before that and we know that the unionists wanted that because it was a a, a mark of the union um, and and part, that was part of the uh, reaction of of the IRA uh, and Sinn Féin against uh, the British government with all that that involved. So they brought in the Good Friday Agreement. A power sharing agreement was part of that. Um, it has stuttered and faltered, and and I'm sure the DUP don't like it. But if it fails totally and we go back to rule from uh, open rule from Westminster do you see that being the beginning again of a new troubles that's that was basically what I was trying to get at in my question it's uh, I'm, again it comes from a point of view where I'm not really sure that the troubles ever fully went away you know like they they have a segregated society they have a peace wall between communities where Protestants live and Catholics live this is silly. You've got atheists, Catholics, and atheist Protestants who hate each other for being Catholics and Protestants. And but there's lots of people there who were like, "No, this is, it's not about what religion you happen to be born into." 
you know, it's about what you believe in, whether you believe in socialist values, whether you believe in, you know, progressive values. And there is more of that. There is there is a future in a more progressive. But you know what? The way England has been run, the way things are being run from England, and I say that very, very deliberately, you know, Scotland has been run differently. Um, England are... If, they, if England impose rule from Westminster... I think you'll find uh, people want to unite with Ireland. Again, I don't think that'll solve the problems either. Uh, you know, I think they'll want a united Ireland, but I don't think that'll solve the problems either. So there will be troubles ahead. Um, you know, there's all sorts of other things as well. There's organised crime links and things that are, that are do with this sectarianism where it actually benefits people to have this problem and they can hide behind it a little bit to do other things. So, you know, um, it's extremely complex. What I would say is watch our show on Friday for a fuller um, account from people who know a lot better than I do. And I would probably say I'm, I'm, I would probably say I'm the most invested in this out of the panel and, and, and have looked this up the most out of the panel. And I'm not confident enough to say what the exact problem is. I'm going from what other people are telling me. They're telling me sectarianism is the problem. Um, and it's not necessarily like, you know, who is in charge of the country. And it's not necessarily Stormont and it's not necessarily Westminster. It's this mix of all these different things and all these. And, and there's organized crime in there as well. So, yeah, it's a really complex situation. And I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about this on Friday on our um, Northern Ireland spotlight following Arlene Foster's resignation. I mean, uh, as you know, I, I sort of uh, 40 years ago, um, I, I wrote about this and, and I wrote a book about this situation. So my, my, my knowledge is 40 years out of date. But I would still suggest that one of the key questions that needs asking is what defines the sect? What, what makes it a secular? It's not, it's not religion, uh, sort of. Um, and uh, the, uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily um, nationalism. Though those two things are tied up in it. I think there's so many fe features which go towards making the sects the sects they are. And then what happens is that, they, that you get this um, ne'er the twain shall meet and it's, uh, did, I mean, uh, just one last thing, Paul, before we leave, leave you and let you go. Um, did you, do you, uh, I know you said that sectarianism has not gone away since the Good Friday Agreement. Do you think it's diminished at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think certainly for, for younger voters, um, they're not voting along traditional lines anymore um, as much. They still are. So what happened is, you know, Catholics voted for like Sinn Féin and, and, um, and obviously like in the much maligned Sinn Féin in this country. Um, so when when like people were saying, oh, Jeremy Corbyn supports the IRA, what they meant was that Jeremy Corbyn was open to listening to Sinn Féin. Now, the DUP and Sinn Féin, some would say the two sides are the same coin, some would say Sinn Féin are more progressive. But, um, you know, you had, you know, Ian Paisley and Martin McGuinness became good friends in later life. You know, they like if those people from two sides of the same same coin could, you know, become friends and power share and be positive, then really 
you know, I found people in England had no business getting really angry about Jeremy Corbyn speaking to Sinn Féin because they've clearly not understood the situation because the Queen spoke to Sinn Féin, um, the DUP spoke to Sinn Féin, they all spoke to each other. That's how politics works. And it was used against him. And I don't think that's really helped the entire political situation, particularly from a mainland understanding of what's going on in Northern Ireland, because people just think Sinn Féin are the bad guys and the DUP are the good guys, the way the news is reporting it. And the DUP are absolutely like bizarre. You know, so um, people are now seeing that. Younger people are seeing that. So you'll find that some young young people from a Protestant background might vote for Sinn Féin, or you might find a vote for Alliance, or they might vote SDLP. They are not necessarily voting along sectarian lines as much as they were. It's still massively there, but it's changing over time. Let's like, Sinn Féin tried to re- reinvent itself as a, as a socialist party, as a workers' party, I suppose it always was in many ways, but it's quite, I would still say it's quite, you know, in many ways... It's not that it's it's not as socialist as it would like to let on, but they they had some really good ideas about how to do that. Like they had community door knocks where after they were elected, rather than just be like, right, I'll see you in four years for the election, they went, thanks, I'm down there, community office, come on, and they really really tried to do that. So there are interesting things to learn about the entire political system. It is incredibly complicated. But hopefully, like, you know, in future, you'll not see this sectarian divide in how people vote and people will vote on policies and people will see themselves as, as being together. Because even if there was a United Ireland in future, that still needs to happen. You know, like the Republic of Ireland is not a socialist paradise. You know, they are like low tax. They are quite neoliberal. You know, so these... the. The poverty that we see that drives a lot of this will not be solved by um, by a united Ireland alone. So yeah, yeah, um, and the, the political solution is the is the, the end of the process. I think um, there's a whole lot that needs to go on before we move to that. Um, uh, Laura, um, is this really? The problem that Arlene Phillips' resignation has unleashed um, a Pandora's box, or is it the case that the Good Friday Agreement was coming unstuck under the pressure of Brexit anyway, and 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 that sort of this is just a kind of a sideshow on on, on a much broader problem. Um. Well, Arlene Foster, not Phillips. <laughs> I think. Um... Oh, right. Uh, who's Arlene Phillips? Anyway, Arlene Foster. Yes, thank you. Sorry. The other Arlene. I think. I think her position started to become untenable anyway, with the whole Ash for Cash ridiculous nonsense that that was. I think people sort of saw cracks in her armor. And I think she was never going to recover from that. So I don't think this is just a Brexit issue at all. Um, I think I think the fact that she dug her heels in and was like, no, we're going to come out strong. We're, and, and she really wanted to come out as a strong leader and be like, no, we're not going to follow Theresa May. But actually, Theresa May was the only person who maybe gave her a deal that was anywhere near acceptable. But she just flew our flag for Boris Johnson even before he was PM. 
And then, of course, he, he promises the world and offers absolutely nothing. And now she's left in this situation. And, and I think it's all very much, I mean, I mean, the Good Friday Agreement, for goodness sake, was, was just hanging on by a thread. It really was. And this has just made it all the more difficult. Um, and I think for her leaving, I don't think it massively changes a lot in terms of the Good Friday Agreement. I think they've been wanting her out for a while. And I was actually reading somewhere that, that, that she, Arlene was the moderate choice for the DUP and she was actually, you know, um, quite centrist. And, and Paul mentioned earlier, I, I read that she'd abstained on the gay conversion therapy vote. And I, and I thought, I, I read that so many people were really angry about it. I was like, yeah, so they should be. I'm angry too. Yeah. Ugh, that's ridiculous. And then I realized they were angry because she didn't vote for it yeah. because she has a massive um, sort of, I, I guess we'll call them right wing contingent in the DUP that, that would want to see that pass. Um, and, and that's how it is and how it's been for a long time. So I think, I think the Good Friday Agreement was suffering anyway because of Brexit. And I think this is just a, kind of, in some ways, a separate issue. I don't think Arlene was given the DUP what the majority of the DUP wanted to see from her. Um, so I actually think as much as Arlene Foster was not great, she did a lot of awful things, stupid things, terrible, I, I do worry who's going to replace her. I, I do think it's going to be, you know, cut off one head and let's see what grows back. Um, so I guess we'll just see where that takes us. The whole thing is so complex and complicated. And, and like Paul said, I wouldn't dare speak confidently about it because this isn't a case of should Westminster rule Northern Ireland? It, it's There's so much going on in Northern Ireland and the Republic in all of Ireland that I feel like that needs to be sorted first before we even have that conversation. Um, and I myself, I myself am half Irish. My dad's Irish. He knew Paul's dad in, in Northern Ireland. It, and we, our families are on separate sides of the coin. And I'm embarrassingly undereducated on all of this. So it'd be really difficult for us to, I guess, comment in an educated manner, we can just do it in an emotional one. It's a mess and it'd be really lovely if we could just get sorted out. But that is um, a very simple you are <laughs> too humble about the state of your knowledge. That's the first thing. And secondly, um, I think that um, both yours and Paul's comments have been tremendously enlightening and uh, the listeners will have um, uh, learnt an awful lot. Um, finally, moving to you, Stuart. Um, the article which stimulated the, the question um, suggested that part of the problem was Boris Johnson's laziness and that Britain has been lazy about the Northern Ireland situation. We've just been letting it get along. I, I, I think they, they, they've just taken peace there for granted. Um, I think, um, I, I, I don't know whether you want to talk about um, the effect of Theresa May's special agreement with um, the DUP to try and push through um, uh, things there. Sort of, um, 
is this Britain's fault? Is my question to you. Is, have we Britain's been fault as a whole? No, uh, the fault of successive governments. Yeah, uh, we've been treating equal partners uh, in this nation uh, differently. We have the, our government doesn't even treat parts of England the same way, and you know that that has an effect. Uh, Theresa May's deal with the the billion quid was it uh, to the DUP for support? Let's let's just handing over money and ten. It was ten billion. Feels like such a long time ago now. It's hard to remember. Anyway, you know that feels like handing money to people and saying go away, do your own thing, just don't bother us. And I think that that comes back to bite you. I think that you know, especially young voters don't like that kind of uh, politicking going on. That, that, you know, people want to be heard and respected and treating people differently d does nothing uh, but create either contempt or complete apathy. Brilliant comment, thank you so much. And, and some fabulous comments, by the way. I'm sorry, Stuart, I kept glancing at, at the comment screen. Some fabulous comments on the comment screen uh, and about Jonathan's party and all this. Very worrying, everybody. Uh, thank you to the team for their um, hugely intelligent comments. Um, uh, but it's time to move on. Paul, Boris. Johnson loses his temper at PMQs as an inquiry is launched into cash for curtains. Is this a storm in a teacup? Well, firstly, did he really lose his temper? Like, I've watched the video back and I think uh, people think that Boris Johnson's a bumbling idiot. He's far from a bumbling idiot. He knows exactly what he's doing. Um, he His... Everything is planned out. I saw a video of him where he admitted to as much that everything's planned out. Like, you know, he'll mess up his hair. He'll play the clown. Um, and, and that's his persona. That's the way he performs. And he performed with a little bit of passion there. Now, I do believe one thing. I believe that Boris Johnson is much more passionate about himself than he is about any issue that the country faces. So... The, you know, this kind of personal politics. I don't like saying this personal politics. Politics should be about policies. Um, and I think, really, Labour going after this one has been the wrong choice because as much as it's, um, as much as it's probably, like, unethical to take money from Tory donors, I don't care if rich people give him money. We know that rich people give him money. We know that they accept different things for, for favours and we know that they give contracts to their friends. That is is unequivocally true we know that they do these things they favor people who favor them and i think the casual onlooker in this will go well you know what's key start has he given away public money he hasn't given away public money it's tory donor money and i don't think i don't think this is going to resonate in the way that the labor party think it will so I think that Boris Johnson didn't lose his temper. I think he was putting on a performance to try and make it about that rather than his comments about let the bodies pile high in the thousands. 
because mm. we've got again we've got Dominic Cummins who is trying to um, install Rishi Sunak as the next leader because he's his preference, and he's trying to undermine Johnson now. He's like, okay, you've had your turn. I've got you there, and now I'm going to remove you. And uh, and I think that is what that performance was about. So did he get angry? I watched it back, and people were saying he'd lost his temper and things. I was like, he didn't really. He just showed a little bit of passion. Obviously, the passion was about himself. Now, there's a there's a wider question here when he's saying, I can't possibly live on anything less than £300,000 a year. It's a pittance and all this thing. Like It shows what class he comes from. It shows where his interests lie. And it shows that he doesn't care. Like, imagine saying, even like, even if he thought it was true, Thank the you, lack Paul. of self-awareness to say that, like, you know, that you, £300,000 a year is the minimum that anyone can live on when he's just not giving nurses, like, he's giving nurses a real-terms pay cut and nurses going to food banks. It's preposterous. So that's what we should be being angry about. Not the fact that, Boris Johnson got some wallpaper, some really expensive wallpaper from um, from some Tory donors and eventually had to pay it back himself and broke them. He's, he's run out of money, hasn't he? So um, this is... This is uh, Boris Johnson's extremely clever. And the final thing I'd just like to say is I've just um, I've just read Peter Auburn's book, which is absolutely brilliant, and I recommend it to everyone. It's called um, The Assault on Truth. And it's all about Boris Johnson's lies and he has made a career out of lying. And I think, linking back to the original thing, is this a wake-up call? We have appointed a known liar and there's been people in the comments asking about Hartlepool and, and things and he's got a really favourable rating in Hartlepool. Like People like Boris Johnson even though he's a liar. And I think this comes from the fact that Blair lied over the Iraq war and the and like he still says he didn't and we'll never know whether or not Blair truly lied and just like misreported what was told to him or made a genuine mistake. But I think people now don't trust any politician of any of any background and Boris Johnson has capitalized on it, so maybe maybe that kind of Mm, that attitude has led to Boris Johnson being able to be in charge. That's the way I feel about it at the moment. And uh, it's it's incredibly worrying about how the lack of integrity in our politics at the moment is almost celebrated. Thank That's you. That's the worry. Um, spot on, Paul. Sorry to, to bring you to it, but these are three short things. Um, some brilliant comments from Jane Strange and Leanne Powell, uh, Powell in the in the comments. Laurie, you indicated that you wanted to speak. What, what did you want to say? Yeah, it was just um, on the back of something that Paul mentioned. I forget exactly what it was now. That was quite a long <laughs> comment. But um, the um, sort of going for something that's quite small fry. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of things at play here. I think, you know, Boris has... has we all know that he has lied numerous times. We know the big things he's done that are literally world changing. We know that he has let people down on a massive scale. I kind of feel like, I agree with Paul, he didn't get angry. It was all for sure because he wanted to prove that he could get angry and, and because people feed into that and, and enjoy it. But and also to just distract from all the other things he's doing. But I, I kind of felt like Keir Starmer really brought out his, I guess, lawyer side, where the 
you know, he's told so many lies and stuff. And I think this was the one thing that Kia and the team knew they could get proof on. It was kind of, for me, it was tantamount to getting Al Capone on tax evasion. You know, it was like, let's get something pathetic because, because we can prove it and hope that the British public are on board with it because everything else he's done has been so massive. I mean, nothing's happened. Um, there's an argument there that there hasn't been an opposition. <laughs> Thank but it was you. just interesting to watch. Thank you, Laura. That's that, that's really interesting. Um, and, and the comparison with Dal Capone is really exciting. Uh, uh, sort of, uh, Sam, do, do you think Labour have got him, though? Or do you think he's wriggled out? Uh, no, I don't think Labour have got him. Again, you know, <laughs> talking to the people on the doors. Uh, I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of... In fact, you know what? When I'm talking to people on the phones and I accidentally come across a Tory, the Tories are more angry about the sleaze than, than the, the Labour sort of opposition, which is interesting and possibly good for us going into an election if it, it turns Tories off voting. But it means that we we haven't really got the message out it's like a self it's own goal on the on their part but from our point of view i mean i saw a meme the other day and it was like boris lad you've just you've just give us a year off work i'm not gonna say anything bad about you having your flat done up sort of thing and obviously we haven't been given a year off work. <laughs> it's not how it works. But yeah, there's lots of sort of working class voices saying, I don't really care about this because it's just, it's not sticking why it's a bad thing about the potential interference. Um, and it becomes, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to say it without, without coming off wrong myself. It's not a get Brexit done argument. You can't explain it in three words. Uh, you've got to go, and this is bad because, and this is bad because, and this is bad because, by which time people have switched off. Thank so um, Sorry, Sam, we're running out of time. God bless you. Thank you so much. Please forgive me. Stuart, um, just uh, very, very briefly, Stuart, because time is done. What you're telling me is that Boris most certainly is not done for. Oh, I mean, pe people don't have uh, an emotional c connection to wallpaper. You know, nobody's going to feel uh, hurt by Boris Johnson, you know, swindling some wallpaper out with somebody. You know, uh, free school meals, people know children who are, who are going hungry, who, you know, you know, everybody knows somebody who's in that iffy situation. You can connect with that. It's very difficult to connect with a, a roll of wallpaper. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's got to be the statement of the week, Stuart. Uh, so the people can't connect with the role. Mind you, he did, wasn't he? He was in the store next day in John Lewis, taking out rolls of wallpaper. Sort of um, embarrassing. Um, Laura, um, refugee policy. Give us your thoughts on refugee policy. Uh, 200 groups are criticising the UK government. I suppose <clears> the answer is, is, will it make any difference at all? Tell us all about it. Um, okay, so the government have launched a consultation on a change to um, refugee policy. It's 192 organisations have, have sort of come out against it, like Refugee Action, Asylum Matters. You see where I'm going with this, all the people who care about asylum seekers and refugees. Um, and the plan was to make 
asylum and immigration system fairer, um, which is great, wonderful. However, when you think, when you realize that Priti Patel is gonna be in charge of that, judging by the comments that she has had about refugees and asylum seekers previously, it does make me worry that perhaps this isn't in the best interests of those people. Um, the consultation is a six week consultation where people can have a look and disagree or ask questions. However, a six week consultation on a policy that would ordinarily get a minimum of three months to be consulted on that is only written in English and Welsh. So any refugees or asylum seekers who, who, who might not fully understand English or Welsh won't be able to give any personal opinion on this at all, which I think is hugely important to get experience as people who've been through this system. Um, it's gonna be like sweeping changes um, that, I mean, these the changes are gonna enable the government to um, more easily remove people from the UK who they deem, um, I guess, ineligible to be here, who shouldn't be in the UK. Um, and it's to deter illegal entry as well. All fine, all in the right hands, I'd suggest that a, a well thought out policy is a good idea. I do think we need reform on, on our policies on immigration. However, it's in the hands of somebody who's clearly said they don't like immigrants, they don't like refugees, leave them out on a boat. Um, the part of the consultation is that anyone who wants to come here, they're gonna put in holding cells. We've seen all the detention centers that these um, asylum seekers have been put in, tantamount to prison, um, or deporting them off to a third country somewhere in, on an island um, where they'll probably be forgotten about. And who decides who, who's illegal and who decides who shouldn't be here if it is just this faction of government that are so vehemently against refugees and immigrants and have proven to be on many occasions and that makes me worry for the people who are just trying to flee war-torn countries war-torn countries that we've we've enabled you know we we sell weapons to a lot of them Charles. um yeah Laura, I'm going to break you off, sorry, because we are running out of time. And, and, and so, the, Stuart, um, how worried are you on a scale of one to ten about all this? Oh, uh, an easy nine, ten. You know, the, the, the language that they're using is, you know, inherently deceptive. When the, Instead of using the word, uh, like, this detention centre, they're using, uh, like, a reception centre. You know, I think it was one of the terms that they used. And those things are there to kind of humanise it for public consumption. But these things are still, at the end of the day, you know, miniature prisons. Uh, so I'm, I'm deeply worried of what, what's going to slip under the public's, uh, you know, view. Thank you. Uh, Sam, comments? Just everything that everybody else has said, really. <laughs> um, yeah, just, yeah. We're, no, we, we're running out of time it, anyway. Let's move on to something else. It's a very simple, it's a very simple issue. That, so that the, the government is treating its immigrants in an awful manner. It's very difficult to think of anything new to say. Paul, have you got any comments to make about uh, yeah, anything to add? I just think that um, immigration's been used as a political football and we've stopped thinking about it. And I, uh, I'll say this, and I, I don't mind saying I'll repeat myself on this one. I do a little exercise with my um, 
with my students and I always do it and I, I'll put some words on, on the board and I'll say put them into positive, negative, neutral and every time refugee comes up um, they will put refugee in the negative column like as if that's a bad thing to be a, a bad, like a bad human you know a bad person refugee now any of us let, let's say something awful happens in this country we could end up being refugees and this has been a safe country for a long time and I think people um, forget that uh, that we could be refugees or oh, there are people who live in this country who were refugees who are refugees and I'm very very proud of the fact that people in our country would help refugees so this negative connotation and it's all all about trying to dehumanize people and making them feel like they aren't like important and aren't people and you know you got these people coming in people will say about like people from Syria oh some of them have got degrees and some of them are really into some of them will be astrophysicists and all sorts of things so what they're all people let's treat people like human beings regardless of their background and let's stop creating a situation where we have to have more refugees like you know the west cannot alone stop the idea stop the necessity for refugees but they could really easily stop arming people and they could really easily stop bombing people. Oh, very I think quickly. we need to think about um, that. Yeah, Collie Orton, Cole Orton, don't people have issues with the fact that some refugees bypass perfectly safe nations to get here? Deal with that, Canard. Yeah, there's, there's a really good video. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it describes why people might go through another safe safe country in order to get to another one and the other thing is as well is if they stopped in the first safe country then that just means that everyone's in Italy or everyone's in you know we need to share this burden we need to share the burden like not, not even a burden we need like you know a lot of the time it's not a burden it's a it's a positive thing people who are refugees contribute huge amounts to the country that they're in so if you're going through a so-called safe country there might not be a place for you there. So why is it that someone just because of geographical proximity to a country, like one country has to take them all? That's the argument that's been made there if people go through safe countries in order to get to another one. And a lot of the time as well, they're not accepted, which is like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who, who if they were in France and were accepted to live um, their life there, then they would move on, but they're not. They're in the Calais jungle. They're not just coming because, like... The UK is this amazing place, and I'm sure it is, you know, like, that's, that's great. But also, there's also a family connection and a language connection, and you've got to remember as well, because Britain colonised a lot of the world, um, you know, this colonialist past means a lot of people love Britain. Like, a lot of refugees who are desperate to be here, they're not desperate to be here because they think it's funny, and they're going to be like, ah, oh, I hate Britain. They they want they, they speak English. They want to come to Britain because they've heard such great things about it because of the colonial past, because the way they were taught in their schools about, like, you know, this great country and, and so on. So, you know, I think people should be... If you were proud of your country, then that might be something to be proud of, that someone else thinks it's good enough to come here across the world. You know, we Thank should... You, God bless you. Um, the, absolutely right. And one of the things that um, makes me proud to be Labour is that Labour, unlike other, we've not 
we've, we've wavered at times, we've not round down, down this immigration is bad. Uh, sort of, we've, we've insisted on, 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 on that, that sort of, we need We to did in 2014. Up. We did in 2014 uh, and, know, and we've know, gone know, there again. We are definitely gone there again. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it'll be on mugs soon now. again. Um, finally, um, Stuart, uh, Gordon Brown leads call for 60 billions of COVID support for poor countries. Tell us all about this. Um, six minutes, people. I'm going to sort of, I'm just going to bring it to an end on, on, on the time. So you may not have a chance to speak. It, indicate, please, if you're desperate to intervene on this one. Uh, Stuart. Yeah, uh, Gordon Brown is pushing for some common sense uh, more than out else uh, to, to help provide a 60 billion quid uh, COVID fund to help poorer countries uh, get the vaccine out and uh, to stop the spread that we're seeing uh, possibly in places like India even and hopefully maintain a, a COVID position where like mutant strains just don't pop up again and ruin all the hard work we've, we've already put in there trying to get over this. Thank you, short and sweet and and, 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 and fair count. Is this sixty billion dollars just from us, or sixty billion dollars worldwide? Uh, I think he is pushing for the G seven to all contribute. Uh, I'm assuming if uh, any any nations would like to contribute, that uh, the fund would quite happily take the money and uh, get it to the people who need it. I mean, I was thinking that you know it's, we, we've already put seventy two billion pounds for uh, HS two. Um, sort of 60 billion to stop a world pandemic is 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 small fry and small change. Um, Laura, um, sort of, is this self-interest or is there an element of um, uh, uh, of being good neighbours here as well? You're on mute, my Laura. Oh my God, that's the first time I've done that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was because Penny was snoring and no one. That's right. Me. That's the reason. Blame the dog. <laughs> um. Do you know what? I've been reading the reports, desperately looking for like a, a reason as to why he's decided. Oh, there must be something sinister going on here. What? What's the underlying reason for this? And honestly, all I found so far is that he kind of just has common sense, like Stuart said. That you know, this is a good idea. It's good for people across the world, and he clearly realizes that we're not just one nation that has been divided up by lines that somebody drew on a map, but that we're all people and we all need help. I am so hopeful that that is the case because it seems to be. And if it is, then I'm totally on board. Let's let's help everybody if we can. We should. Paul Daly, come back, Gordon Brown. All is forgiven. <laughs> yeah. I, I had less of a problem with Brown than I did with Blair. I think Blair uh, Brown's uh, always been principled. He's uh, he's not as left wing as I, I am. I would say, but he's you know he's just right. You know, I think you can you can come at this from the point of view of whether you want to be a good person or whether you want to have common sense and be selfish. And both of the this answers both of those questions. We're a joined up world. We saw the pandemic, like everyone said, that it came from China. I'm not so convinced, given that we had those cases in Europe a lot earlier than we saw this breakout in China. But who knows? Um, but, you know, like it, it just if you want to be selfish, then you don't want mutant strains. 
and the world needs to be vaccinated, which is why the Oxford, Oxford AstraZeneca jab not being used for profit, like everyone will be paid and they'll be paid quite well, but the shareholders won't get a huge dividend out of this, which is probably why I think that particular jab has been attacked as being not good. But that is a great one. And if they share the patents around the world and just say, let's get this done. Let's get people inoculated before we get more mutant strains and and just help one another. Like, look at India. Like, what kind of human being would look at what's going on in India and think, I don't care. You know, I'm sure there'll be a few, but the vast majority of human beings will look at that and say, I want those people vaccinated. I want those people to have oxygen. I want, you know, and, and let's just... The Herculean effort that like Boris Johnson often refers to should be towards helping people. It shouldn't be toward a Herculean effort towards profit. So, um, And there is a bit of capacity there as well, despite what Bill Gates says. There is capacity to create more of these vaccines. Thank you very much indeed. Samantha, the last word of the show to you. Um, Jordan Brown, and is this, is this a solution to the pandemic, do you think? It is, but I'm going to totally ignore your question and give the last comment to Jake Radcliffe, who says he watched Gordon Brown do an interview the other day and his stepdad turned around and said he'd make a good prime minister. Unfortunately, he didn't do an at all. <laughs> he was all right. You know, lots of people credit him with saving the world financial system, which is you know, the moment thing. I realised you know, the moment I realised that I that I quite liked him was his leaving speech. <laughs> I was like, oh man, he was all right. Him <laughs> too late. <laughs> Towards the end, yes, we'll talk about Gordon Brown another time, perhaps. And, <laughs> and that's our time is up. But, um, uh, listeners, thank you for joining us. It's just been so lovely to see you. The team are just fantastic, aren't they? I mean, every week I'm just uh, blown away by how brilliant they are. Um, what we're going to do now is the normal thing, five minutes of music, come back, um, and um, Samantha will uh, look at your comments, and um, we might even tell you what we think about them. God bless. Thank you so much. See you in five minutes time, perhaps. And for the benefit of Samantha, we are back. Hello. <laughs> I picked my knitting up. This is like <laughs> extreme micro dosing of self-care. <laughs> if, if my computer's taking a little bit longer to load up, I'm doing a little bit of knitting. If Joe Solo's knitting, knitting? If Joe Solo's knitting, that's a party. Right. So, um... <laughs> comment Ruth is um spot talked about the uh, postal votes she says in North Tyneside there's loads of people who haven't received those and they don't know um they can't vote at a polling station if they don't have the postal vote so it leaves people in total uh you know no man's land did you see in Darlington they gave about 350 people two postal votes yeah <laughs> I don't know how they're going to fix that one um, but yes I, I was somebody who got my postal vote very late in the day I got mine well I can't remember when but it was late um, I did manage to get it off at a reasonable time uh, Laura's gone off and, and 
she managed to get her foot in the door to go away for a sleep before the rest of us decided that we would put our foot in the door to go away for a sleep. So well done, Laura. <laughs> She's also in the beautifully pri- privileged position because um, yeah, Rochelle does our beautiful graphics on here. And uh, we've already got one with all our names on. So, like, during the break, I'm frantically trying to make sure that, like, we get you pinned because it's all weird. Like, I had to pin you in different places. It was so weird, and I just managed to do it just well just done. that split second before beforehand. So, um, for the benefit of the podcast viewers, we have, like, nice graphics and stuff. You might see them on YouTube if you have a look. Um, someone really cool. criticised them. Poor Rochelle. Rochelle is amazing. Happy birthday, Rochelle, by the way. Happy birthday to Socialist Think Tanks, Rochelle, who everyone thinks is absolutely amazing, I'm sure. And uh, also, you need to vote for her on on Thursday Mm -hmm. because she would be a tremendous councillor and something completely different as well, just as Samantha is and Stuart is. Mm -hmm. You know, John, um, I'm sorry to say that you aren't completely different in in demographic (laughs) to the to the other people but you are definitely someone I would also recommend voting for thank you but, you know. <laughs> but I do, I do yeah, want to say that it's lovely to see people people have a go don't yeah. they people have a go about us not um, having a diverse candidature and, and everyone's the same and stuff and I think this year Labour Party have managed to get some of the most um, varied candidates that I've seen in a, in a very long time we've got like people who are disabled we've got people who are stay-at-home dads we've got stay-at-home mums we've got working mums we've got like young we've got uh old we've got everything in between i'm really quite proud of our candidates this year you know we did a good job thank you i was trying to interrupt you there paul because somebody said if you don't get your postal vote you can vote to the postal station you can't a polling station you can't um if you do you can take your postal vote along to the polling station but if you've opted for a postal vote, you can't go and vote in person. That's it. You won't be on the list. That's the top and bottom of it is, if you have not received your postal vote at this moment in time, you need to get in touch with your council who are organising the elections. Obviously, for us, that's Durham County Council. Uh, there'll be nobody on the phone right now, but tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning, you have to phone them up and, and get advice. because They you are don't bringing be- them out in person. They're, they're driving out and pushing them through people's doors. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's that frantic. Um, sort of, it was, and, and just sort of, um, I, I always come on to this later thing, I mustn't talk too much, but the, the it, sort of this postal vote fiasco really messed up our campaign. I don't know about you, Sam, mm. but the fact yeah. that we had it absolutely, we knew when the postal vote drop was going to be, we had it absolutely timed. So we hit um, the, 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 the press and the social media and the doorstep, the um, the weekend before, they were due to drop on the sort of the Tories. They missed it completely. They went in the next week half asleep, but it didn't matter because nobody. So in the end, they they got the best weekend, and it was sort of um, and, and and of course the, 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 we'd had that we'd shot our boat. It was wall to wall Tory coverage in 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 the media uh, the weekend that mattered. So it really messed us up. Um, but there's much more important things about people getting their vote. And you're absolutely right. You must get in touch with your, your, your local council and say, I haven't got it. Um, mm-hmm. And I got some um, polling, some postal polling cards after I'd sent off my 
Me too. <laughs> the hell out of me. Do you understand what that's all about, Sam? No idea. And, um, so I had a street stall on Saturday and somebody came up to me quite distressed saying, I don't know whether I'm voted or not because I've sent my postal vote off and then I've got another set of polling cards come through and I don't know what's going on. But the exact same thing happened to me. I have no idea. I think maybe um, it's something to do with the, proce the processing of the postal votes was overwhelmed um, because it took them quite a long time to process my postal vote application. So I think I basically got a letter through saying you've got permission to have a postal vote. And then the next day I got my postal vote. And then the next day I got my postal vote po polling cards. I'm hoping that it isn't that the first set of um, um, ballots were, were disqualified in some way for some reason. And I had to start again. Um, oh. but, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like you. Hey, sorry, Sam. Oh, back. It's, it's not a good look. It's a little bit worrying, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, oh, goodness me. Uh, I door knocked somebody uh, this week and we said, like, hello, uh, you, you know, are you going to vote? Will you vote Labour? And he said, I don't know. I give my postal vote to my mum and she sorts it for me. Like, uh, some people get two votes, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, how many kids do I have? <laughs> but uh, that's a long term. <laughs> are, we, are there any are there any questions from earlier in the show that we're after going for? I know Chris has just um, done one that you might still be able to see. I know, like you can't see as many comments as I can see because yours disappeared. Out. The Chris Hood one. Good show as always, everyone. Election day is nearly here. What's everyone's thoughts on the how what the local elections will turn out in County Durham? Labour majority, Labour minority? Well, I can speak from my point of view is that currently Sheldon and Dean Valley has two Labour and one Lib Dem councillors and we're aiming for three Labour councillors and that's what we're hoping is going to happen and we've got good reason to believe that'll happen. So we're doing our bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, to maintain the Labour majority. Um, what does anybody else think? I think for me it's um, it's so weird. It's such a weird election. It's so hard mm. to see. One of the positive things I've seen in Wingate, and we, we let's hope we get a strong majority here, let's hope people go and vote. Um, but people have kind of said that, that John's doing a really good job here, John Higgins, that is, and... Uh, and that seems to be coming across without us doing too much. Like, he, he's spoken for himself. We did a lot of campaigning a couple of years ago, and he promised a lot, and he's managed to do all but one of his... Well, he did all of his election promises. It's just there was one that, like, he said he would try to do and hasn't been able to do. He's he's tried. So there's that. Um, but who knows what's going to happen? You know, if it's a low turnout, then the Tories will win because... What I've learned is that Tories go out and vote no matter what because they. It's like that old that that meme that I've seen before. It's like, well, if you don't vote, your landlord votes, um, your boss votes, all the all the people who control your life vote, and they vote in their interests, and you should vote in your interests because there's more of you. But a lot of people have this voter apathy and this like this idea that. They're all the same, and, and as I said earlier on about Boris Johnson um, being, 
you know, people just like, ah, oh, well, they all lie, so his lies are just equivalent to everyone else's lies, even though his lies are like full-on out, outright lies, whereas uh, other people's are probably more subtle. But yeah. Hmm. Stuart, how are you doing? Uh, I tend to get lots of positive feedback, but I don't trust it. So I had a, a member come out from a fairly affluent part of the ward. Uh, lots of support, you know, I wanted to, he went out and leafleted for me to make sure everybody in that, that part of the community was covered, double checked, you know, screwing everything down. That was super positive. Uh, when I was out on Saturday, I, I spoke to a lady who I see every day walking the dog and uh, she said, you've got my boat. And, uh, you know, I don't know if she's seen the leaflet or she's just seen me walking the dog. But again, you know, lots of positive. And I don't feel like I'm a particularly uh, contentious person in Chilton at the moment. I was expecting a lot more uh, like social media pushback. And I think either because of the way I'm doing it or because people literally just don't have anything nasty to say about me, uh, I've gone under the radar somehow. You're a good human. That's what it is. People recognise that you're a good person. I had a good campaigning experience today. I have not been able to get out today. I've been st I've been sat here since like seven o'clock this morning, um, and um, but my friends have been out campaigning twice today. And this evening, I got a phone call from um, a lady that I helped during the pandemic I helped her find some flour when flour was in short uh, supply and basically my friends had been round and canvassed her knocked her um, but she hadn't been able to get to the door in time so she thought she'd phone me to tell me that she was voting for me <laughs> so that was nice that was good um, it's a bit inverse phone canvassing going on there <laughs> um, so yeah so that that's good and I, I do feel like I'm walking around when I'm cam when I'm when I am canvassing. I seem to be walking around like hello, hiya, like hiya, like I know so many people. So I hope the people who I do actually know actually go to the polling station. <laughs> um, that's the thing, isn't it? So many people don't. Uh, yeah, Chris says, if it's a Labour minority, what do you think the panel should do at County Hall? Start a minority council or look to work with another group? I don't know enough about how it would work, really, to, to make any... Um, I mean, what I imagine will happen is that because you've got the proposition like you do in government of making deals with other political parties. And I imagine there will be a huge amount of debate within the Labour group and lots of different opinions <laughs> about what would be acceptable. You know, um, obviously the idea of a, a Labour Conservative coalition is like, unspeakable beast <laughs> but similarly a, a Labour Liberal Democrat coalition it doesn't sit well either considering the way that the Liberal Democrat group has behaved um, when actively opposing the Labour Party in the past I don't see how we could rub along nicely so the only option then is to try and work with different groups of independents and we know there are independents in uh, Durham County Council who are ex 
Labour Party members. We know there are independents who probably consider themselves too left to be in the Labour Party. So that would be more uh, natural, I suppose, but I really don't know enough about it. And it won't be my decision to make. <laughs> Anybody else want to chime in? We need to start writing a shopping list of demands <laughs> no, for the negotiations right now. What do we want? Yeah. What do we want? Russian hats. <laughs> the, um, what do we want? Better stuff. When do we want it? <laughs> the, How are we um, going to get it? Definitely don't know that. About this is that many in the past, what's happened is that many uh, count. Uh, conservatives stood as independents and many of the um, independents were very right wing uh, in, in, the, in, in their attitudes. Some of them have now moved over and joined the uh, conservatives. Um, but the general feeling is, is that you may well see um, a move of the vote from the independents to the conservatives and and sort of all the in inside gen was that the independents uh, many independents particularly in the north of the county had done the deal with the tories and that the tories have broken that deal and um, they, they also had this kind of uh, you know you you let me go if i let you go and uh, so there's bad feeling between the tories and the independents but the general the the feeling is is that you're going to see many fewer independents there because people who have voted independent because that was the anti-labor vote now will vote conservative because they've got a positive because there's many more conservative standing and if that's the case we're going to see a much stronger conservative contingent they've already um the, the conservatives at the county hall were always sort of a, a small number of people who were very urbane and uh, amusing and agreed that the government was awful um since they got these uh, conservative mps in they are wretched people nasty and uh, sort of just uh, churning out um richard holden crap um in the council chamber so you're absolutely right there's no way that we can do anything with them the the, the, the lib dems have no morality the lib dems ha have have no ethics at all um i would find it very difficult but we might have we might have to uh, sort of swallow um sort of our our, our principles there um i don't know uh, i think the only answer is is uh, chris to elect um a a, a labor to vote labor and that's have a, isn't, it, a, um, isn't this interesting as well because this thing this um this conversation knowing that we need to have perhaps a coalition if Labour aren't a majority, then you are going to need to cooperate with other councillors and a lot of those other councillors are awful. So I think it's like, well, you know, that's the point in party politics, isn't it? That's why we have this very strange coalition within the Labour Party. And there are people within the Labour Party who, I know there are people in the Labour Party who really hate me. Um, and they hate me because I tried to make it more democratic and I tried to do like fair things and probably because I like, like, because I'm left wing and people don't like that because they are ideologically against that. But then they'll say, oh, we don't want to be ideological. Well, everyone's got an ideology. If you don't have an ideology, then what are you doing? But anyway, like this conversation around like, how, how do you organize things that's why you have party politics. The whole system is set up for party politics rather than independent 
politics and you can see at parish council level a lot of the decisions you make at parish council level are like well that's sensible let's just do that you don't need to be in a party and there's no party whip and you know i've i've had people vote for independence against me and things like that in the in the but you know my parish council but when it goes to county level when you get big you need to um you need to have a group of people doing that now if they are all under the same banner they might disagree privately it's a lot less messy when they come out publicly and say okay this is this is what we're going to do and i suppose that's more efficient and i think that's the point in party politics not that I necessarily agree with the idea of how politics is run, but if it's going to be run this way, then it should be run that way. Like, who are who are the Labour Party going to like form a coalition with, and then did did they come into Labour group meetings and and so on? Does that rattle things a little bit? I don't know what's going to happen. I think next week we'll probably maybe have more exciting ideas around this when we know what is going on. I would personally like to see things change with regard. I would like to see more politics at County Hall and less from uh, from people just saying, right, the officers say we have to do this, so then we have to do this. I think it should be politically driven. We want this to happen, so how do we make it happen? I would like to see that. I would like to see politically driven decisions because we don't want to see people in poverty, so we'll do this, or we don't want to see that and we'll do that. And I'd like to, personally, I'd like to see a lot of the salaries massively cut there because I don't agree with uh, massive salaries. I'm more of a two to one ratio. Some people say 10 to one. Um, I'm a little bit more left wing than that. But, you know, these are all things that could be considered. And uh, I've rambled on for a little bit about three different topics there, so I'm going to move on. I think one thing you're going to find is that the group has to be much more, um, uh, much more um, uh, close. I think that you'll find that um, the discussions within group will be um, more lively because people will be able to, um, uh, the, the fear that people might not vote with the group will make the group listen much more to the various different uh, different voices within the group. So you'll find that, but when the decision is made, my golly, that Labour group's gonna have to stick together. We can't be doing with anybody um, sort of breaking ranks because we won't have the numbers to be able to, to cope um, so it's going to be the, the internal dynamics of the group are going to change uh, as well as the external dynamics. Um, be, um, it's sort of, uh, the, the answer is um, that we've been Labour for 102 years. Labour is protected during we're the last Labour county council in the country. And people need to realise that this is the last bastion of safety. And uh, sort of you do not hand over um, the, the, your house to the, um, the criminal, um, sort of keep it labour. Hmm. <laughs> Not controversial did, at all. Did you, see Ruth's, <laughs> did you see Ruth's one, Samantha? Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, Ruth says the police came down hard on people protesting against the new policing bill at the weekend in Newcastle. There were a dozen arrests, mostly for people writing in chalk with minors being held until the early hours of the morning. Big difference to how it was it was policed in the previous week. Why? What is the agenda? Um, I mean, obviously, it's. Um, this is worrying. I find this a very worrying time. I, I'm not currently able to go out protesting. I, I just don't physically, like, I've been to a couple of demonstrations, but at the moment, if there's any any risk of people sort of uh, rubbing up against me, I'm out and I can't cope with it. Um, and it'll have to wait until we're in a much better place. Um from the COVID point of view. So I'm really worrying that this is sort of sneaking in while people can't get out and mobilise um, and the people are just being literally sort of uh, pushed around. Uh, and, you know, the stories and the videos that I have seen are, are really shocking. Um, people heard things about broken ribs and, you know, uh, saw a lad get decked by police for putting his placard in front of the police camera, you know, I just think um, this is not, and I was look, watching it on Twitter and somebody said, oh, the Met are at it again. I'm like, this is not the Met, this is Newcastle police. What What's going on? Having demonstrated quite a lot in Newcastle previously and never had any problem with the police because we were not being a problem as protesters we were just doing what protesters do um so i do find it quite worrying that the next opportunity that i have to sort of protest for example the rise of the far right which is usually if there's an anti-racist pro protest like i will i will make it there and i'm just worried that next time it you know it won't be the the positive and friendly atmosphere than it usually is and um yeah i don't know what's going on I, I, I am unnerved about it and um yeah if if you are if you are in the position where you've been fined please do reach out there are people out there who are willing to help you pay those fines um and look after yourself it's interesting isn't it like jane jane strange who is absolutely wonderful she's one of our moderators she's uh she's Absolutely brilliant. She and she's in the socialist think tank members group. So do be a member if you'd like to be. You can donate or not. That's up to you. But uh, <laughs> um, she said she hadn't heard anything about this. I did this drop this in the um, in the social media WhatsApp group. I think for socialist think tank, and it was uh, a a young lad who waved a placard as you said, Samantha, wasn't it? He just waved it in front of a, in front of. He didn't even wave it. He just had it there, and then there was someone filming, and then they just got hold of him and then smashed his nose in, um, and which is bizarre. Think back to when you and I were on that um, counter demonstration against the Dem Democratic Football Lads Alliance, where they were saying that they were protesting against violence against women, and then the first thing that actually there were three of us there, and John was there as well, and I remember looking around with John with his placard and. And Samantha, as hard as she is, and like you know, we're all, we're all looking at each other, and they're these aggressive people running at the police, and the police were really nice to us because they knew we weren't there to cause trouble, and they knew the other people were, and they broke police lines. And I always think that uh, let's always get this on record. 
that was a protest against violence against women. The first thing they did was punch an old lady in the face when they broke the police lines that day. Um, but you think about needing the police and as an ally in that situation and the relationship we've had with the police and, and then, like, say, Eunice, who was on the show on Socialist Night Live one, one week and he's always had a good relationship with the police. He's probably been lifted a few times and stuff and, and, and what have you, but he's always had a good relationship. And that seems to be moving away from that. And it always shows that the police are a force for the government a lot of the time. You know, whatever the government agenda is, the police kind of have to do. They're a political entity in many ways, which is why they aren't allowed to indulge in politics because a government might ask them to act in a certain way. And obviously that has not gone out as a public thing, like, oh, we're going to start hitting protesters now. But that seems to be what's going on. I don't know, unless it's like they're a bit scared because of COVID or whatever, but, you know, getting hold of people and pinning them down and smashing the face off the ground isn't really something. Or, the, or, the, or what happened at the Man U protests when they're like... When that guy was clearly punched on the ground, he's got a broken jaw, he's got all sorts of things going on with him. Um, and we're starting to see some very strange things. I mean, to me, like you say, it, it, you have to then remember that the police are a tool of the state and, and you know, you, w you wouldn't be a good uh, historian if this didn't then like make you wonder, you know, are we going back to the 1980s? Is that where we're going? Are we going to see um, any of the horrific acts of police brutality akin to something like our grief? I don't think um, it's difficult to see what that would be because obviously we don't have the union uh, type of... of, of um, solidarity strength than we did then but what else is it going to be is that is that what it's going to be it's going to be police breaking up uh, extinction rebellion protesters in a in a really violent and an un, un disproportionate way don't know any other ideas Stuart john mm, i keep thinking that, that because we're seeing quite a, a speedy change in you know how policing and how public reaction is towards protesting, that we're going to see some change in how protests take place. I think it's it's going to evolve slightly because of how COVID has uh, affected the situation and how uh, the new laws are going to affect affect the situation. We might see new, different, maybe better forms of protest, maybe more effective that uh, put people at less risk. I know, you know, th th things change quite quickly. And uh, I think it's, it's something that uh, we have to be uh, aware of as people who would normally attend protests. Have you, you seen Jane's latest one? Sorry. Jane, Jane's latest comment there, Samantha. Uh, yes, Since she says, how much are lies about the left to blame? A Tory MP recently got away with saying in a national newspaper that the Nazis were socialists and people will have believed that. I mean, I'm sure we've all had a conversation with somebody where they've told you what an evil 
<laughs> what an evil communist you are <laughs> and, and, and like all of the nasty things you do when you're like that's not me um, I'd be interested like so John's a historian obviously and you you know about this stuff but like people will say this and then they will post something so people will say things like oh well the Nazis were socialists and then they'll post that uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who did it the the reverend from Germany was like, first they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was a socialist. No one in Germany believed that the the National Socialist Party were socialists. No one believed that. And then this lie has come back up again and it's propaganda from them. They pretended to be socialists to try and get a few more votes and like try to, you know, merge different ideologies and things. But it was all a ploy in order to do that. And then people will still say these things, and it's still lit like a hundred years later, nearly. It still persists this lie that the Nazis were socialist. Not in the, they weren't socialist in the slightest. First, they came for the socialists. Always remember that. It's the same thing that they call us fascists. People have utterly lost all sense about what these labels mean and um, a lot of it is intentional the conservatives throw them about in a confusing way because they know people um, will bite and 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 nobody has a clue what they're talking about and and it's just any anything to smear the left um, the hard left the Corbynite left sort of the, the terrorists the communists the socialists Nobody has a clue what the difference, what all those things means and how they're different. And it's very, very worrying. I'll tell you what worries me about the police bill. It's n none of the things you're talking about. It's the £10,000 fine. And that's, that is what will stop people like me uh, getting ourselves arrested. And it was absolutely to stop um, the um, Extinction Rebellion. Because a whole lot of people like me sort of... Well, yeah, I, well, I couldn't give a, a sod whether I'm in prison or not. I'm not a job that I'm going to lose or anything like that. I'm retired now, sort of. So I can I can lie in the road, and they, they, they say we're going to arrest you, sir. And I say, oh, fine. Uh, off we go, and they take me down and process me, and and, and sort of. And if there's a fine, well, I can afford the fine, quite frankly. And and off I go home. And we've we've had a ten thousand pounds. Now that's going to ruin my retirement fund, and I, and I don't have an income to replace that anymore. And what it is, it's, it's that absolute cynical to detach old people from Extinction Rebellion. That's what that is. And, um, uh, and I don't know how you overcome that because um, uh, it, it means that only young people with nothing to lose will go on these matches and suddenly that will affect the way the police deal with it. And Solidarity, that's how you deal with it. But then, you know, we're going to have another housing boom, aren't we? We're, gonna, we're in the middle of another housing boom. House prices, because house prices are known to be affordable, we need another boom, don't we? So there's another house price boom at the moment, which is absolutely appalling. Yes. Um, and you know, with the, the in our interview with Grace Blakely, she talks about like what happens there with the idea of credit and stuff, and like you know, outbidding each other because they're willing to lend each other more, so they just get people into debt, and uh, that's the situation 
that we are in at the moment, I think we need to start doing something. Honestly, we're far too passive. Well, especially when you bundle all of that we've just been talking into with such a aggressive attack on the rights of the Gypsy Roma traveller community. You know, on top of everything we've just said, that we, we're making uh, protests that the the only only young people are going to be on protests and they're going to be beaten up by the police for doing so. Um, and then, you know, if you are a live a nomadic lifestyle, you run the risk of having your home not repossessed, confiscated and destroyed, isn't it? Um and and also it impacts on other people's rights and freedoms as well. You can't just nip across somebody else's field or wild camp, or you know if you get sort of stranded and you you decide okay I've got a tent in the boot I can just pitch up here for the night. No, you can't. Um, so uh, you know ramblers, you know you just got to make sure you know where you're going so you end up on the right side of the law. It's just yeah. all all of these things together. And, and somebody mentioned Pretty Patel earlier. Um, Pretty Patel heading dragging us towards the the Orban direction. You know, uh, Pete, I think we really are sleepwalking into. I mean, we already had quite a far right state already uh, mentioned earlier you know we, we've got uh, w- welfare advisors who are not doctors or nurses quizzing women to find out if they've been raped or not to find out if they're allowed enough money to to survive we, we've got a horrendous um an aggressive uh regime for for disability benefits um, and carer's allowance where you're consistently treated like a criminal and forced to prove yourself over and over and over again. We've got neighbours looking over the, the gates of their other neighbours thinking, oh, are you at work? Uh, do you have a partner living with you? I'm going to dob you in because I think you're doing something you shouldn't be doing on benefits. And just it's just a really toxic right-wing country we're living in at the moment you know where it's it's just become so normalized that we've got the nhs but loads of people are are on private uh health now and if, if you can't do a thing if you if you can't access uh autism assessment or speech therapy or occupational therapy for your child it's just expected that you will just go private and you know if you if you if you don't if you don't have the money to go private, why did you even have kids? You know, you're not a responsible person. All of these toxic right-wing messages are consistently floating around us. Um, and I just, I, like I said, I just keep thinking, you know, 25 years ago, would we would we think we would be here right now? I don't think we would. Our, and again, this is a message I'm hearing when I'm canvassing, you know, people saying, when my when my bairns were little, I expected they would grow up in a country that was better, and we're not making progress. We're going backwards. And unfortunately, people keep voting for it. So, there's an interesting comment um, from uh, Mark Lungley saying, "Read the history of debt by David Graeber." 
yeah do that it's uh it is fantastic and it might sound like i'm changing the topic i'm not like debt is a very very important thing in this system why people are scared and and, and it's um uh, it's almost argued like at some point you could argue that um getting people into that situation means that they have no choice but to sell themselves into a job and 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 what have you and and then the different uh, like ideas around debt and exact money like you know the the places that don't seem to have problems with interacting with one another are the people who don't seem to see debt as an equivalence so it would all, all, like say if i um if i came around and i gave john something like um i don't know a, a, a bottle of bottle of rum let's say let's give john a bottle of rum and he gives me the exact same bottle of rum back you know then that would be offensive because you've given the exact same thing you must give something that's slightly different and some cultures will do this and they'll say you like sort of similar value but never the same and debt is almost this like in some cultures that debt is like the worst thing you can possibly do and uh yeah, it's a really, really interesting book from an anthropological um, standpoint. Yeah, there's interesting stuff there. Definitely. Have you read it, John? No. There's a BBC Radio 4 series, I think. It might be on iPlayer, where David Graeber talks through it himself. That might be an accessible way to do it. I think that's really interesting, Cass. One of the, I mean, sort of the, the reason I was shaking my head is because... One of the turning points in your life is when you start, when you've got enough savings to borrow from yourself. And, and that, that is a, a real turning point in your life if you ever reach it. Uh, where when something crops up and you need a new washing machine or you need a new car, you can borrow the money from your own savings and then pay yourself back. And, and, and sort of the, that, that is, is, is a turning point financially in, 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 in your life. And uh, sort of, if you're not at that point, strive towards it if you can, because um, it, it suddenly, um, all the, the interest rates you're having to pay go, but it also carries real freedom. And and, and Paul's absolutely right that debt um, is a, a, a chain upon you. They're chains upon you. Mm. And, um, and, and, and it does stop you doing all kinds of things. Just Ruth, Ruth asked for a book list. We've got like um for the members of Socialist Think Tank on the forum. There's a forum that James built, which is incredible. Um, and we do have a book recommendation thing that we aren't using that much. But oh uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put all the books that I think that people should read, listen to. I do audio books a lot because um I read that much. Like you know, like when I'm reading newspaper articles all day. And then I'm reading all day from a job and I get really tired and I sometimes just like to do an audio book. Um, so they're dead good as well or a podcast and stuff. We should do that, audio books and podcasts. But there is a there is a book recommendation thing on our um, on our forums that isn't being used enough. But yeah, definitely, definitely get involved with that. Become a member of Socialist Think Tank. It's, uh, yeah, 
if you aren't already. I don't know. I don't know every every single member, but uh, yeah, definitely get involved with that, Ruth. And I also wholeheartedly recommend listening to audiobooks while knitting. It's very therapeutic. Totally switching off from the world. Uh, right, okay. Oh, I don't understand the question, Chris. If Labour do lose their 102-year majority at Durham County Hall, wh- oh, why would that be? Well, I mean, that that's a good question because a lot of the current political discourse is all like carbon this and Keir Starmer that. And, you know, I mean, we know in Bishop Auckland, we started losing votes in 1997. We got a huge swing to 1997 and then every single election after that, the votes being going down. So until do with carbon. Till 2017. Well, I don't know. I don't not, know about not that. Not in Bishop Auckland, actually. No, no, you're, you're right. <laughs> Everywhere else, but not in Bishop Auckland. Everywhere Auckland, else, yeah. not in Bishop Auckland. Um, so, the, I mean, there's so many things going on. There, There is demographic change happening. You know, we, we do have a different way of working, a different way of relating to each other and different types of jobs. Uh people move out of the northeast to get jobs in other places we've got a very elderly population um so there's lots of different things going on but i think um you know from my point of view we you know we never fulfilled people what people wanted the labor party to do up here during the tony blair government um Obviously, now with hindsight, honestly, I would have the Tony Blair government back minus the war, please. Thank you. Um, because it's a hell of a sight, damn sight better than what we've got now. But, um, you know, I just think we've been, the, the, we, we really drank the Kool Aid, really bought into new labor. But then as soon as it was here, we realized it wasn't going to do what we needed it to do. And, um, and, we, and then, you know, it didn't reverse the decline that happened under Thatcher. And then it's just, and there's been no viable alternative since then. So it's a long-term issue that's happened for a very long time. Um, yes, Chris would say that our councillors don't properly engage with the people of County Durham. I mean, that's a very mixed bag. There's lots of different councillors. Some of them like John are very, very good. Um, certainly the people of Shildon feel that they have not, yes, minus PFI too, Musa. <laughs> the people of Shildon uh, definitely feel like they've been taken for granted for a very long time. And then hopefully I will have the privilege of helping rebuild that trust. Um, so there are, there are so many things in, in the mix, so many things. Uh, yes. Do you, do you know think that? Do you know think that? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Maybe, but uh, Collie 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 Orton. Um, why do you think Scotland went from all Labour to SNP? What on earth is going on? Are the Tories to blame, or are Labour themselves, or Scottish na- nationalism? The hater of the English being promoted feel more disunited than ever. I actually think that's a really, really interesting point about Scotland and the way Labour lost Scotland. And I think that was like the the better to get together campaign 
uh, was it called Better Together campaign? The the one where they all stood on a Ed Miller band and David Cameron. They were all like, "Yay, we're all the same," you know, like you know, we're all the same England. And I really think that we can see that happening in County Durham um, nationally, where they just like take our votes for granted and they look for other things. And you can say like. Mandelson came out and said it, didn't he? That you know, that, you know, well, you don't need to forget about you forget that if we want to be elected, we need to appeal to these other voters. And they forgot about the heartlands and they forgot about the people who were important, and also that top down way that they've done things for so many years now, where like you know, Corbyn tried to change it, I think. But it still didn't really. We still didn't really feel like we we're in a really democratic party, did we? Like we got there to an extent, and I think our CLPs were democratic. Now I've never known of being less democratic, although I wasn't here under the previous incarnation of the Sedgefield CLP, where I just feel like our hands are entirely tied. I'm like the chair of the CLP, and we can't make any decisions. We can't. We can't talk about certain things we can't you know there are all sorts of restrictions on us we're not listening to people in general apart from the people who i think kia starmer and the people around him want us to listen to they're like the important thing is we need to listen to people and he's only <laughs> listening to the people who think that like that he wants to listen to he's not listening to, like any opinion like his members do you mean he's not listening to his members and how in the world is that thing in, in Wingate? It's it's really interesting. We're running this thing at the moment. Wingate make a difference. It's really interesting because like if you talk to people and if you're nice to people and if you actually care about what they think and try to represent them, they think you're pretty good. They like you, regardless of whatever your political beliefs are. They just like, well, I can see them doing something good locally in the community. And I think that's what's lacking in the Labour Party. Like, ideology aside, a lot of people agree with Jeremy Corbyn's ideology and a lot of people agree that nurses should be paid and, like, uh, you know, that billionaires maybe should become multi-millionaires rather than billionaires. <laughs> you know, it's not a really unreasonable thing to think about. And then, you know, people will go along with those things. However... We aren't even talking about that in the Labour Party at the moment. We're trying to, like, get this imaginary football fan, this imaginary, like, angry, nationalistic football fan to like the Labour Party. And it's not going to work, is it? He's not listening to his members. He's not listening to anyone. He's just decided that, like, there's some sort of racist who likes pasties who really likes Boris Johnson because he's a racist who likes pasties. That's what I feel like at the moment in the Labour Party. He's terrible. I do think Starmer has to go, like, regardless of what happens in this coming election when they lose. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that is this is the thing, isn't it, right? The Labour Party's had it, got its excuses in early. We've, we've all been told we will do very well to not have a horrendous defeat because of the state that the party was left in under the previous leadership. 
Um, so, the, you know, the lines have been drawn, even if we do get absolutely decimated. Loads of people say, oh, I hope you're, you know, I'm supporting the Labour Party, but we need to get decimated in this election so that uh, so that Keir Starmer will have to pay the price. He won't, right? He won't uh, have any kind of uh, backlash if we lose this election because it'll not be his fault. Um, it'll be somebody else's fault and we will carry on and then we will get an email through from David, David Evans that says we can't talk about it in meetings <laughs> even though he's not been ratified by a conference yet we're not allowed to talk about things it's like the, the, the labour the first rule of labour is don't talk about labour the second yeah. rule of labour is don't talk about labour unless you're Keir Starmer and then you have to say terrible things about the previous labour leader but then blame everyone else when you've got terrible ratings, even though you've been in charge for a year and no one knows what you stand for. Dear me. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time for us to go to bed. You know, know, but we've generated some comments there. That was fun. That was fun. That was fun. I'm going to have nice hair next week. I've booked myself in for an emergency haircut because I haven't had my haircut in like, five years <laughs> and the you know if i'm elected i got the pack through you'll have had it too stuart uh, you'll have a, had a version of it i'm sure uh, john yeah i heard my pack through saying this is the what will happen if you're elected so your count is on friday and then you will have an appointment on either Saturday or Sunday, where you'll be given your tablet and you will have a photo taken and that photo will follow you around for the next four years. <laughs> I was like, oh, I better go and get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> because it'll be the picture they drag out when I make a fool of myself, won't it? When I do something that's really controversial um, and they drag it out and print it in the paper and everybody will go, look at that scruff, of course she is. <laughs> I'm I'm going to do a little thing before we go as well because this is the last opportunity we've got to do it. Go and vote for these people. These are nice people. If they live in your area, vote for them. Do you me go and vote for them? <laughs> They're good people. And there's plenty of other good people. Vote John Higgins. Vote Rochelle. Vote like, you know, the, the Heidi Smith and John Robinson in Sedgeville. Go and do those Let's things. Go, Joy Allen. Yes. Yeah, vote Joy Allen. There are some good people. Um, as a member of the Labour Party, I can't promote candidates who aren't out on inside the Labour Party. But like you know, if you need to vote for someone who isn't in the Labour Party, then make sure they're a good person. They've got proper principles and they care. Because a lot of the, the the worst we're seeing the worst of political candidates coming up like people who don't care about anything other than other than themselves and i'm not saying that the labor party are devoid of these people they aren't devoid of these people there are some people who join the labor party in order to think well you know one day i could be a county councillor or one day i could be an mp and they want to use the movement to get them into power I will exclude everyone on this call and all those people I've mentioned from that. Just go and vote for good people. Please do. Thank you, Paul. Yes. <laughs> and also join Socialist Think Tank. It's it, it's free, isn't it? Is it free? 
it's free or if you feel that you can afford to um to contribute towards what we're doing then you can you can do that as well that's up to you but there are no special privileges for buying in it's not like a hierarchical system everyone who wants to be a member can be a member but we um we do like people to be socialists and uh and nice to one another which is uh which is what we're doing at the moment so yeah but if you can afford it as well it is it is nice to be able to not plow a lot of your own money into doing things like websites and all the different uh, disclaimers that we have to do but yeah um but you don't have to do that and also god we're gonna have to get this merch out as well because look how nice this is lovely <laughs> Right then. I just say, Sam, that next week um, the main, the big story is going to be the election results. So we'll be able to talk with um, knowledge about some of the questions that were posed in the evening. Um, it's, it's also Mental um, Health Week, and so there's going to be a second um, sort of big story, a big question asked by Musa Ascari. Um, no, Mia. Mia. Mia's joining us, isn't she? Sorry. Yes, Mia's joined. Thank you. I got the wrong name there. Um, Mia, Mia Mantri is going to be joining us. Um, uh, Mia's asking a number of questions. She comes on and joins the panel. Um, so that will be we'll be talking about mental health awareness next week, and also some of the questions that you will vote for in in the poll. Okay then. Bye bye, everybody. Good night, Musa. Sorry to take your name in vain. <laughs> <laughs> God bless. Take the red.